Welcome to Healing You, presented by Define You Radio, with host Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Committed to helping you heal with stories, tips, and strategies by guests who were once hurting. In order to define you, you must first heal you. Now your host, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Welcome, everyone, and happy Sunday. This is Valencia Griffin-Wallace, your host, and thank you so much for tuning in to Define You Radio Presents Healing You, where you get to hear the stories and life lessons from guests who understand that healing you is part of the process of defining who they are. Tonight, we're discussing living unbroken with a very special guest, Miss Latonya Smiley. I'm really happy and excited to have her here on tonight's show. And as usual, I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. One of them is on the line now, Miss Connie Lee Bennett of Meraki Therapy. Hey, Connie, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. Hi, everybody. Yay. Hi. (laughs) And uh, Miss Tasha Dearborn of Positive Express, who will be joining us in the show a little bit later. I'm so fortunate, guys, with tonight's show. I'm kind of going off the rails a little bit, as I normally or sometimes do. But tonight's show is a very important and important topic. We're talking about incest and domestic violence. We're talking about healing. We're talking about overcoming. We're talking about the very, the very fabric of some, some things that happen in life that people typically don't discuss. A lot of times people want us to put a Band-Aid on, on problems and on, on things we need to heal from. And when that Band-Aid gets ripped off or get a little wet, then the wound seems fresh. That's the purpose of, of healing you. And if you would like to get on the line with us tonight, maybe tell us about how you healed, how the guests helped you or the show has helped you, feel free to press 1 on your keypad. That's if you dialed in. <laughs> Please make sure you do follow and connect with the show on Blog Talk Radio and Define You Radio's Facebook page for updates, show notes, and guest information. Tonight, like I said, we're talking about a really sensitive, interesting, and in need to be discussed topic with Miss Tanya Latanya. I'm sorry, smiling. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, I heard her on another show, and I was absolutely floored by not just her story, but the way I heard the healing in her voice. See, we can always say that we are healed. We can say that because that's the PC, the politically correct thing to, to say. That I have no issues, I'm completely healed, I'm 100%, um, you know, I'm 100% healed and adult and ready for the world. But to actually hear 
hear it in somebody's voice is a whole other thing. To know that they are truly speaking from a place of being healed, it, 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 it affects you. It makes you know that there is another side to healing, the part where you're actually healed. LaTanya is, is the CEO and founder of Eve's Roses. It's a nonprofit organization that mentors victims of incest and domestic violence. Eve's Roses strives to empower survivors through transformation in progress. She is an overcomer of incest and domestic violence, and she knew she had to do something to help those who were dying in silence from those secrets. She birthed Eve's, Eve's Roses and launched her vision in March of 2012. And it acts as a rescue mission for survivors who are stuck in the I survived, now what's next phase. And I know some of you guys can can definitely relate to that. That, okay, I'm, I'm good, now what's next? She dedicates her life to creating a no-judgment zone. And you guys know that as survivors and overcomers of anything, a lot of times you are judged. We are judged by that. With that, um, she helps survivors through the dysfunction that pollutes life following abuse. So I'm going to let you guys meditate on that as she shares her story of incest and domestic violence, how she overcame and healed from it. And much more. With that being said, let's welcome Miss Latanya to the show. Latanya, how are you doing on this beautiful Healing You Sunday? I am so wonderful. And what better day to talk about healing than on a Sunday? This is amazing. Um, Valencia, I thank you for um, having me on the show. I love your your. Southern Belle personality. You are just <laughs> awesome. I feel like I've known you all my life since, you know, we spoke um, after me, after you hearing me on Embrace Your Kate, on a Kate call. And I just thank you for welcome, welcoming me onto your show. Um, I'm just going to just dive right in because I know that it's a large subject and people may have questions and we probably got a lot to cover in a short period of time. So, again, my name is Latanya Smiley. I am um, Executive Director of Eve's Roses, which is my baby, which was birthed out of um, some things that I had been through in my life. So, as most of the people who know me know that I was molested by my dad from the ages of 9 through 13, which resulted in a pregnancy. And um, after getting pregnant, it was just a downward spiral from there. I um, ended up being a teenage mom, not with the baby that my father impregnated with. I had an abortion with that baby. My mom took me to have an abortion, but I got pregnant maybe a year or two later with my firstborn, who is now 30 years old. Um, I dropped out of high school. By the time I was 21 years old, I had three babies, um, been two baby fathers, and it just was just um, a downward spiral because the man that was put in place to protect me and to nurture me and to show me how to be treated by a man violated 
stole my innocence and the family just went on as if nothing had happened. And mm-hmm. every relationship that I went in after that, I was looking for someone to love me. You know, I went from playing with dolls to having babies almost overnight because when someone, when you're touched as a child, there's two things that happen. First of all, I was confused. I was scared. I felt that I couldn't tell nobody. And then second of all, um, when you're touched at a young age, your hormones are awakened. And so now your body is trying to catch up with what's going on from you being fondled. And those are some feelings that you can't control. So then every um, every relationship after that, you know, it was um, my son's father, my son, my oldest, his father used to beat me. And I mean, when I say beat me, I went to my first prenatal appointment with two black eyes and just not regular black eyes, black eyes to where they were, all of the blood vessels in my eye was broken and I had a black eye like you see on television. And they, I remember the um, nurse asking me, she was like, well, did your child's father do this to you? And I was like, no, I was breaking up a fight. And she was like, yeah, okay, but I know that she probably didn't believe me, but because I was covering up from him, for him, you know, she couldn't force it out of me. This went on and on and on. Like, he would beat me. He beat me throughout my pregnancy. I ended up having my baby early due to getting beat. I had got an order of protection. By the time the police would come, he would be done, um, have done everything that he wanted to do. And um, by the grace of God, he ended up getting locked up when my son was two years old for murder. And I think that that was like such a blessing for me, but he was the he was the first man that beat me, but he definitely was not the last man that beat me, you know. And after being beaten for most of my life, when I had a period of no more, then I became the aggressor. If you cornered me, if a man I was in a relationship cornered me, and I felt that he was gonna hit me. I would crack him before, you know, he got to me. And it was men that, you know, I don't hit you, Tanya, don't put your hands on me type of situation. So it's just a, um, it was just a, a nasty cycle that I was going through. Um, me being molested made me feel that I can have this nasty attitude. I don't have to treat people with respect. I can do whatever I want to do because I'm so broken and this happened to me. You know, I tried to commit suicide several times, and thank God it was unsuccessful. But through all of that, you know, I'm, I, am, I am so blessed that God chose fit for me to live to see today, to live on this side of going through something that was so traumatic to my being because I was broken, broken in so many pieces and didn't know. And in being broken, I couldn't be a good sister. I couldn't be a good mother. I definitely wasn't a good friend to anybody. And my brokenness contaminated every area of my life after being molested by my dad and trying to um, not even so much keep that secret because once I got pregnant, the secret was out, but the family fell apart after that and became very dysfunctional up until when my dad died four years ago. No one still wanted to... Um, address that this has happened. So it was up to me to do my work to come out and not live in the bondage of a childhood hurt. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to kind of, well, number one, thank you so much for, for your honesty and, and being so transparent in, in your story. And there's a a quote that, that I saw somewhere and I think I posted it. I'm not sure, but it says um, something like your, your scars are, are turned into a story or is something of, of that nature. And we look at scars as something that hurts and, and, and it heals, but it's still there. And you have a story about that scar. So I wanted, and so again, just definitely thank you so much for that. I wanted to kind of go back a little bit to you being molested and getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Did your mom know before you got pregnant or did it all have to come out when you got pregnant by your dad? So it came out when I got pregnant by my dad. Um, my my father, unbeknownst to me and my mother, I think at this time my father had done drugs. He was a heroin addict. And you know, my mother, when she, my, he, my mother was the dominant one in the family. She was the breadwinner. My father did work. He worked as a truck driver. But I don't think that he made as much money as my mother. So he would come home and give his check to her to run the house. And in doing that, it was times when he needed money for his habit. And when he didn't get it, he would abuse her. He became um, violent with her. And she, in turn, would run out the door with her friends not realizing that she's leaving her daughter or even thinking probably that he's going to do this to me. So up until the point where I got pregnant, I think that she was running from, she was running from her own demons. Like I say that I was literally grabbing her ankles when I would see her get dressed. I just would get this feeling in my stomach because I knew what was going to come. And I'd be like, you know, um, Mom, can I go with you? And she's like, no, you want to stay here or whatever. She was always uptight, you know, but when I look at it now as a woman with my own children, my own husband and stuff, it's it's the way she was living and, and the marriage that she was in that had her that way. And she left me with a man that she thought that she could trust because, again, this wasn't her boyfriend. This is my biological father. So she's probably not thinking that he's going to touch me in this way or whatever. So up until I got pregnant, she was gone. <laughs> you know, she would work, come home, hit the road with her friends or whatever. Don't leave me there with him. But it was me and my brother. My brother is four years younger than me. Hmm. How how did she react? When, um, what happened was that my mother used to keep up with my menstrual cycle and She had this plan, and she always had a plan, and when I started to get my cycle, she kept up with it, and it didn't come. My first year in high school, it was my first year in high school, I'll never forget. Um, My father would come home from work, and I can be outside playing, and there was always probably a window of time before he came, when he came home, if he came home probably at four, my mother probably didn't come home till six or seven or whatever. And it was always that small window of time. But most of the time when he came home, I was done with my homework or whatever and outside playing, and he would call me inside through the window. And 
I could hear him call my name. You know, Tanya, come inside for a minute. And I could be about to ready to jump in the double dutch rope or get ready to play tag. And he would call me in the house and he would fondle me. And it started off as him fondling me and touching my breast. And he would rub his penis up and um, up and down on my genitals until um, he would ejaculate. And um, then I, I would go back outside and you know, my friends now, since they read the book, they're like, wow, I remember him calling you through the window and you would come come back out. And you weren't the same, but you were still always tiny because I was always smiling, always laughing, always the life of the party. You know, I always feel that no matter what we go through, God gives us something to carry us through. And it was my gift to make other people laugh that carried me through. So people hardly knew when something was wrong with me, but... My mother, my, when my period didn't come, she was like, you know, you didn't get your period. This, and you're going to tell me, you, you're little, you, you better not be pregnant with your fast, you know, with your, with your fast tail. And she used, she didn't use tail, but she would say right. that to me and um, whatever. And I, 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 when it didn't come, I didn't know what had happened, but I knew that um, maybe two days before that he had called me inside, and usually where he would rub his genitals and up against my genitals, this time he actually penetrated me. And I remember going to school, I remember him penetrating me, and it just was different from all the other times. You know, he's moaning, he's growing, he's inside of me at this point. And when I got to school, I went to eat lunch with my friends, and we would always, you know, it was our first year of high school, we were going to try out for cheerleading and all of this stuff, and I remember sitting at the table, and I got my lunch, and I ate it, and I got so sick, like, vomiting and all of that. And I don't think that I associated with, oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant at that point. I just know that I'll never forget that feeling of the first time being pregnant. And um, when my period didn't come, she just put two and two together. Um, we, We had... Someone, her best friend's mother used to watch us when we came home from school, and she must have had mentioned it to her because she was like, you know, your mother says that you're pregnant and and and, and you're going to tell us who the father is. And I'm like, yeah, I said, my father been touching me. I told her, I said, you know, my father been touching me, and if I am pregnant, it's because of that. And I remember her crying, and then my mother picked us up that evening, and we got home. And she was like, she put her bag down. Like, she thought to fight me. And she was like, now I know you're, you're pregnant, and you're going to tell me who the father is. Because all this time, you know, we playing run, catch, kiss, and spin the bottle and all this stuff. And, you know, we run real slow when a cute boy chase us. But I wasn't fast. I wasn't really doing anything that could get me in trouble. Nothing that kids my age don't do. You know, we might have kids or call us ourselves rubbing each other or whatever, but that was it. And when she came at me that way that evening, I was like, you know, yeah, well, daddy, daddy's the father, you know. And I remember her falling to her knees and calling on Jesus and the whole nine yards. I don't remember her call, hugging me and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, this is what, you know, my baby is going to be all right. I don't remember none of that. So I, I was just standing there like, can I go back to my room now and you can go ahead on and do this whole thing because I'm still, you know, I don't feel no comfort from here. This is a situation. I don't even know how it's going to work out. So after she got herself together, she called me back in the room and she was like, now what do you want 
me to do because if I call the police, they're going to take you and your brother away from me and they're going to put your father. And I'm like, who puts that responsibility on a child? You know what I'm saying? So me, I'm like, I don't want, of course, I don't want the family to be broken up. I don't, you know, I don't want that. But still, still, I'm a child. I'm, I'm 13 years old. All I know is my parents. I don't know about the foster system and all that. I don't know. Why would you put that decision on me? And when he came home that night, she was like, I was in the room with her, and, you know, she was like, well, you know, Ronald, you know, Tanya's pregnant. And guess who the father? He was like, yeah, really? And he was like, guess who, who the father is? And I was like, yo, daddy. And he was he was like, she lying. He told my mother that I was lying. And my mother would always say that if I wasn't nothing else, I was a liar. But something inside of her let her know that this wasn't a lie, that it was the truth or whatever. And they went through whatever they went through for a temporary point of time because she put him out for a few days and he slept on the porch and he was so so sorry. But he ended up going to my grandmother's house, his mother. But I remember my mother going back and getting him within a few weeks of her putting him out. So that's how that went. He let me ask you this. I know you said you have have a little brother that's four years younger than you. Was he aware, you know, now, you know, with you guys being adults, was he aware of what was going on? Because a lot of times, you know, as, as children, we're, we're aware or we feel like something's a little funny, whether we may or may not say something. So was he aware at that time, hey, daddy touching my sister? Mm-mm. He went up until, and, and I tell you, God does all things well. When my father died four years ago, and I'm 47. And I tell you, my brother's four years younger than me. My brother went through his whole life not knowing why I was estranged from the family, why when I came around here, like, she's just a troublemaker. She's just always coming around here start in trouble because me and my mother just did not get along after that. She treated me as if I stole her man. And Hmm. my brother had no clue what was going on until I decided to share with him um, what happened. I was like, you know, people, we we had had to sit down and, and we were like, I said, you know, it's time for you to understand that your sister is a good person and it's not what everybody says to you that I am. But I explained to him exactly what happened and um, what had happened with his father and all of that stuff. And my brother left furious. He was going to confront my dad. And in him going to confront him, my father ended up having to be rushed to the hospital because he had lung cancer. We didn't, I don't think that we knew that he had lung cancer at the time. Oh, yeah, we did know he had lung cancer, but he had had some type of flare-up, and he ended up getting rushed back to the hospital. My brother never got a chance to confront him. My father ended up dying a few weeks after that episode. Hmm. Did your brother automatically believe you? He believed me because my father had touched his daughter. I touched my niece. Hmm. And my niece had went and told her mother, and it wasn't like something that was new. It was something that happened years ago, but my niece was never able to come and see my brother after that 
because the mother took it serious enough that if if it wasn't true, she believed her daughter enough to protect her from going back and having it happen again. So when he put, he was like, and, and, and you know, he beat himself up after that because he felt that he should have believed his daughter. Hmm. Wow. I want to talk about your being um, not put out the family, but kind of like being the one, the quote unquote troublemaker, you know, and, and that. So everybody in your family knew what happened, knew you got pregnant by your dad, but some way it was your fault. That's, that's the feeling I'm getting with how you felt or how it was presented to you. Is that correct? So my family is very, very little. My, my mother and my father are only children, and um, my mother only had two children. So when I say my family, you think that it's this big family. It's really small. So when I say I'm estranged from my family, I mean my mother, my father, my brother. And I stayed away from my grandmother after that. I just went on my way, my own life, because it was just too much for a child to function in that atmosphere when you know, they still they still felt that we're not going to address what happened. We're going to sweep it under the rug. I guess it was just going to go away by osmosis or something like that, and we're not going to deal with the issue. I remember my, I, my mother took me to a psychologist or to speak with a counselor about something, but she wanted to tell me what to say to the counselor. And I was like, I think mm-hmm. I went one time, and I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I just left home. I left home. I was 15. I was I was about going on 15 when I left home, and um, that's when I started to live with my son's father. Hmm. It's it's interesting, and and I like how you talk about that responsibility that should not have been put on a child being put on you about, you know, you're going to basically break up the family. They're going to take your dad. It's going to be all your fault and everything else. So it's like you were forced to grow up in, in more ways than one and forced to be an adult because it's, you know, it's, it's on you. So I, I see that a lot and I hear that a lot. And I know in my own life, being pushed into a situation that no child should have to be pushed into. So your childhood kind of ends by force. Yes. So that's why I say I went from playing with dolls to having babies. Now now I'm forced to grow up, first of all, because now I'm pregnant, I'm having sex, and I'm pregnant. I don't get to play double dutch. I don't get to go outside and play with my friends. I don't get to be on a cheerleading squad. I don't get to do none of those things that my friends are doing um, because I'm I'm a runaway pretty much. I was mm. a runaway. I slept. I went from pillar to post. I slept at my different friends' houses until I, I met um, my son's father, and I stayed with him in living conditions that I wasn't used to because 
Um, he stayed with his sister. They, they were crackheads, and I wasn't used to that environment. You know, I didn't have a lot in my home, but my home was comfortable. My grandparents, I was the first grand. I'm the oldest grandchild, and I'm the first grandchild out of me and my brother. And I had everything. My room, my grandmother decorated my room. I had the canopy bed, the all-white furniture, everything in my room that a little girl could ask for and that she needed, I had. So I had to give all of that up to go sleep on a pissy bunk bed and stuff like that to be with my son's father because of the dysfunction in my home. And I rather had dealt with that than to go home. Hmm. When we talk about the silent shame behind incest and, and, and domestic violence. And I know we're kind of hitting two, two things at one time, but what I find is that a lot of times when people have experienced incest or molestation or some type of childhood sexual abuse, the other end of that is they end up in a domestic violence situation. And that's so true that you say that. And I find it's because, like, for me, it was that I didn't know myself worth. This is what I – it was a learned behavior of what I saw my my, my father do to my mother. Um, I would get beat, and I'm a child. I'm, I'm a child getting beat by another child because my son's father, he was 15 as well, but he was muscular, and this is what his father did to his mother – and he would beat me and he would tell me he loved me. And even him beating me um, felt better than what my father did to me. So mm-hmm. him telling me it was distorted. It was like, this is love. If, 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 you know, if he didn't beat me, he didn't love me. You know, if a man didn't put his hands on me or give me that fight or that argument or that confrontation that I, I wanted most of my life, then they didn't love me because that's what I associated love with. And and it's because as a child is learned behavior, I feel that women that come from homes where their father is active in their life and their their father is not um a woman beater, they don't go through the issues of the ones that have an absent father or that are victims of child sexual abuse. Because again, child sexual abuse is this by someone that has your father, he's supposed to be the one that he sets the tone on how I feel a man should treat me or how how I'm supposed to be respected by a man. So all of that was it was all downhill from there. Hmm. That that's so so true. And I wonder what what studies have been done on the on the backing and like what the quote unquote statistics say. Because I know Personally, every woman that I'm connected with in some way, shape, or form that have dealt with that in their childhood has dealt with the other in their adulthood. Like you said, you know, we get this distorted sense of what love looks like. What, What does it mean if you care about me because your father loved you? And how he loved you was by hurting you. So your earliest memory of that, that's, you know, how how they joined together in, in, in some sort of 
crooked puzzle. So why do you think, because I know you deal with a lot of people that have, that are or have dealt with incest and domestic violence. Why do you think there's such a, a shame behind it that we're, you know, ashamed to talk about it and say, hey, this happened to me? It's a, it's a fear of exposure. You would be surprised of how many women walk around with this burden of being molested. And back then, you know, it was what happens in this house stays in this house. And even with me, it was like, oh, I don't want to bring, when I got older and I felt that I was shamed, I'm like, what am I shamed for? I'm shamed because of what happened in that house that I'm going to let my parents' household dictate the rest of my life because I'm living in shame. I'm not free. I'm having nightmares mm-hmm. at night. I'm 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 ruining my kids' life because I can't be a good mother with the things that burden me. You know, I'm suffocating literally. And I think that people are ashamed to talk about it because they are they don't like to com- to confront what happened. And with rape and with um Sexual assault, you have to you have to confront it. Like you have to confront that thing the same way you want to go confront somebody, a, a woman that you thought was with your man, or how you want to confront your man when you say you gotta confront that demon because hmm. it'll just grow. It's not gonna go away. You have to stand in front of it and you have to really like literally do your work. You're not gonna take my life because hmm. the shame will kill you. It will literally have you ready to jump off a cliff. You're not going to be truly happy until I, I couldn't imagine laying next to my husband and he don't know, he doesn't know what happened. Me voicing what happened to me, it let my children, it, it opens the door for my children to understand that their mother was a broken woman which is why they, their life was the way that their life was. And they were raised by their grandmother, you know, on their father's side. Or whatever it is, those things that we are afraid to, to tell, those secrets that we keep, those secrets kill our children. You know, those mm. secrets break up families. Those, those secrets that we keep, those are the very things that the devil uses to keep strongholds on our family and on our lives. Those we have to talk about it. Not talking about it, you're you're um you are cheating yourself out of the life that God created for you to live. You're cheating yourself because you have to do your work. The way I, the, I'm, I'm going to tell you, for me, it was like it was life or death for me. I had to fight for my life, fight for my feelings of wanting to live. I don't want to be this broken woman no more. I had to do my work, take responsibility. No, I didn't hurt myself. My father hurt me, but at the same time, he hurt me. I'm accountable. And when I stand before God on my last day, I'm accountable for my reaction to what he did to me. And it's not an easy place to get to, but it is a brave place to be because we are more than conquerors. All of us have overcome in us. You may not have to overcome what I have to overcome, but you have to overcome something. And all of us have overcome in us that 
he gave it to us. I had to sit here and point the finger. We're so busy pointing the finger. You did this to me. We're looking for an apology, thinking that hmm. it's a level to forgiveness. It's no level to forgiveness. My father needed to be forgiven just like I need to be forgiven for many things that I've done as opposed to him breaking me. And if we don't break the cycle, stand there thinking somebody owed you something, nobody owes you anything. And, and that's, where, that's where it gets confusing. You know, we walk around as women, we hold on to stuff, and this person did this to me. You got to get some tough skin, honey, and you got to stand in your truth. Me being molested, me surviving domestic violence, child sexual, it makes me who I am. It makes me who God created me because he knew I would go through it, and he knew I would come out of it, and he knew I would get my power. And once I got my power and my story, it was over. It was over. It was no wow. longer. Will I will I allow it to shame me? No, I won't. I won't walk around with my head down. I will expose the devil for what it is, and that's just what it is. Is the is the spirit that was set to keep my family in bondage, and I'm telling you, it's it's, it's just an ongoing cycle that happens. That's just what it is. It's a nasty, hmm. vicious cycle. I love that you that you said you you touched on something about the shame will kill you and 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 confronting it and realizing that just because it was done to you doesn't doesn't mean that that's who you are that's all you are and you should live in that moment a lot of times we we do we get caught up we get caught up in the shame we get caught up in in living in that moment where we're waiting on apologies that may never happen my in in my own situation i have let it be known to my family and i have a ridiculously huge family who touched me what i remember down to facts that could not be denied. And I remember, girl, that was so long ago. Get get over that. He's not like that anymore. Never, and I'm sorry, never, you know, ne- never think. So I realized, because I was, I was angry. I felt like it should have been, you know, some, I wanted the disruption in the family. I wanted him put out the family because maybe I felt like I could come back in. It never happened. So I became very angry. It, it added to, to, to my anger. And then Ooh. I had to realize that, guess what, Valencia? It doesn't matter that you're mad. It doesn't matter that nobody is reacting the way that they should. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, like you said, I had to, I confronted the devil. I saw it for what it was. And guess what? I have to be responsible for my healing. Because at the end of the day, it's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Everybody's back to business as usual right. after that. Like the family is still going on. People are going to be who they're. And mm-hmm. you're the one laying in the bed crying at night. You're the one laying in the bed angry. I let being angry, being bitter, mess up many good relationships, pure relationships, because I was nasty. When I tell you I was nasty, like what? 
ready to fight any and everybody, even to the to losing jobs because of my attitude. You know, so hmm. when you think about everything, like you you got to come to a point to how much are you going to allow the devil to steal from you? You have to get to that point to where you're like, look, enough is enough. Now I'm gonna lose everything. I'm gonna lose my people that's close to me, my children. You know, I'm, my marriage is on the rocks. Everything. And I'm still going to walk around being nasty and still pointing the finger. Everybody, you know, everybody's always doing stuff to me. No, that's not how, that's not how it works. That's just not how life works. You know, you got to have some coping skills. And, and we mm-hmm. won't fight for our own life, but we'll fight for unhealthy relationships with everything in us. We'll fight to be in a relationship with a man that we know is never going to work, but we won't fight for our life. We won't fight. For our right, um, our right to have joy and to demand respect. We'll just settle for anything. We'll live life on a clearance rack if we could all of our lives. Why? Because it's easy. It takes a certain kind of woman to confront life's issues and, and stand flat-footed and be like, look, this is what it is, and either you're going to play by my rules, and my rules is no more, no more disrespect. No more am I going to allow someone to put their hands on me. No more am I going to, if it hurts me, it's so good for me. Because it didn't come from God if it's hurting me. And you have to get that in your spirit. And you got to just really just stand on it and be like, don't be afraid to let stuff go. It doesn't matter who it is. If, you, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not making me feel good, you got to go. Especially wow. in this stage of my life where I know that I'm not broken and I'm not going to allow you to remind me of, of who, um, I call her Latoya, my alter ego. I'm not going to allow you to remind me of who she is because it's best that she stays where she's at. Because she's not a nice person. She's not nice. And the same way you could be, you know, people be like, oh, you're making a big deal out of that. How do you know how bad that you hurt somebody? Yes, I was molested, but, heck, I done did some stuff to some people that probably felt worse than molestation living in a broken state because hurt people hurt people. Mm. So. Wow. At, at this time, I wanted to bring Connie on. She had a question. So, Connie, if you want to go ahead with your question. And, guys, if you're listening and have a question or comment, feel free to press 1 on your line. Connie? Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much, Venetia. And, uh, you know, Latanya, you, your words are just inspiring me on a very deep level. So thank you so much for your authenticity. Um, my question is about self-love. You know, uh, uh a lot of a lot of the time, the people that I work with, they they're in a space, I guess, kind of similar to what you're in, where they just feel so bad about themselves that they don't know how to love themselves, and they're in this space of constant criticism of self and lack of worth, the constant "I'm not good enough." So my question is, what sort of tips would you give people who? don't love themselves like how do you begin to start loving yourself again um to to begin to love yourself i feel that you have to be able to stand in your ugly truth when you look in the mirror at yourself you have to address the things that 
you don't like about yourself. Usually when you find a person and you're like, I don't like that person, you don't like that person because you see something in that person that reminds you of something that you have not confronted. You know, as a woman, when you walk in the room and you like, when you see somebody else and you're like, hmm, or you turn your nose up at her, it's something about her that you wish that you had. Like, you wish you had her confidence. So when a person doesn't have self-love, I would tell them that you have to do your work. I want you to write down on one side of the sheet the things that you don't like about yourself, and I want you to be honest with yourself. And the only way that you can do that is you have to stop pointing the finger at everyone else because, if it's 20 people that say the same thing about you and everything was my attitude and my mouth and my tone, then if it's 20 people against me, then I have to be like, that's me. I don't love myself enough to correct it. You know how we, we go through life and we think that we're all that in a bag of chips. So we get these, um, this education and we put these titles on it and we, we, I call it we dress up this garbage can of our soul, because hmm. it's your soul that, that matters. It's not what you see me on my nice purse, my, my, my $300 weave, my nice clothes. That's not what matters. At the end of the day, it's my heart, because the Bible said God looks at your heart. So you know what's in your heart. You know what you show the world. But I feel that each and every person knows their nasty self, and that is the person who you have to address. You have to sit down with that person and you have to be like, no more. You're showing up in areas that I don't need you to show up in. You're, you're making me lose everything that I've worked for and some of the stuff that I'll never get because of this nasty individual. You have to learn to love yourself. You set the tone on how someone should love you. You know, we, like, we, we always have this vision of how we want our relationship to be with our boo and what it's going to be. Some of us, we're not even fit to sit by ourselves, let alone be in a relationship. So I say ask yourself, and this is, this is how you know self-love, ask yourself, if I was, would I date me? Seriously, hmm. would I date me? <laughs> ask yourself that. Would I be my own friend? And some days it's yes and some days it's no. And those are the things where you be like, I don't love myself. And and it's not some 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 people cut literally cut their arm, I think it's called self um mutilation. But in loving yourself, you would not do anything to allow negative energy into your space, nor would you get out negative energy. You don't want it in your space and you don't want to put it on nobody else. So love yourself. That's 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 my tip. Write down what you don't like, because only you know the real you. We see mm-hmm. the fake you, but the real authentic you, that person that's hurting inside. I, I tell you, I, I was a New York City paramedic for almost 10 years. I'm saving lives. I'm jump-starting hearts and come home every day and feel defeated. That's not self-love. But if, I, mm-hmm. if I was loving myself, I would be able to embrace the lives that I see. I would be able to impart. But as everything else, we think that education and all these other remedies is going to fix a problem that it's not. It's not until you face who you are. And you know who you are. People, people who need to learn self-love, they know that they don't. There's no way 
that I can be like I don't love myself. It's just you get into the point where you're you're ready. You're ready to give. You have to give up some stuff to love yourself. You have to come out from among those crowds that mean you no good. You have to come out from that best girlfriend that co-signs your mess. You have to come out from her. <laughs> She's allowing you to flow and, and, and self-hate. Yeah, girl, you right, no. She should be like, no. You, you're going to sit down and you're going to listen because I've had enough. You, that person, where's that person? So, you know, that's just what I had to do. Hmm. That's great. Thank you so much for your advice. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, at this time, um, we have a caller on the line. Go ahead, caller, area code 405. Yes, Miss Molly. Yes. Thank, thank you so much, beautiful, for sharing your heart and your testimony, your life, and your triumph and your victory. Um, my God is all I can say. Um, there's been so much going on in my family's life. These things are generational, and they go so far back to where people don't even realize the, the origin of it. Uh, we've hidden so much. We've lied. We've covered up. Your, your relationship with your mother, how is that today? Mm-hmm. 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 My mother hated me. And I'm not even going to say she hated me because child molestation affects Everybody, my mother, yeah. and this is this is just months ago. If you follow me on Facebook and you read through my post, I put a post up because the Holy Spirit dealt with me, and I'm wondering why doors is not opening for me. I'm wondering why my ministry is stagnant. Come on. Why I'm not being blessed? Come on. And it's because yeah. my mother was a victim in this as well. Her Come husband on. Come on. slept with her daughter. And she, left, she didn't leave him. She stayed with him until he died. So instead of us banding together my, to combat this devil, me being the generational curse breaker in my family that God said that I called you to be, I put her in the corner. And I was like, I forgive you, but I didn't deal with her. And God yeah. said, you didn't forgive her because that's not what forgiveness doesn't mean Come you on. put someone in the corner. Forgiveness means that I love her past her pain. So I had a conversation with her because we would have never discussed it. And at this point, my father's in the grave, but we don't have to talk about it because God knows what happened. She doesn't have to apologize. At this point, I need for her to forgive herself. And I forgive her. I love her. I long for her in my life. I want to lay my 47-year-old head in her lap and let her tell me, baby, it's going, how was your day? You know what I'm saying? I want her around. So I'm like, that's forgiveness. And that's when the doors start opening because partial obedience is disobedience. The Bible says love. He says to love. We have to love. His greatest commandment is to love. And we feel that we don't, we, I'm a generational curse breaker and I'm going to break the generation starting from me down. No, the generation starts up. So we got to go back up the chain to where come on, come on. that, oh, it's, it's amazing to be, oh, I was molested, I was molested, I was molested, and your uncle did. That is not normal. So we're not no. going to normalize it. We're going to expose it. We're going to deal with it. We're going to pull back the rugs. We're going to protect the ones that's coming up because no one, 
deserve. My God. But you would just My walk God. around with, with it like it's a trophy. I was molested like it's something, some rite of passage. Hmm. So my that's Lord. my story wow. about my mother. My Lord. When I my see, Lord. she's going to stand right next to me. And when she gets the courage that she wants to talk, and when she gets the courage that she wants to, because nobody, as as they say in uh, uh, my favorite movie with Patrick's face, nobody puts baby in the corner. Nobody puts my mother in the corner. Nobody makes her have to put her head down. She did what she felt was best. But in, even in everything that she thought was best, God already knew what the outcome was going to be. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> How did anyone make her feel different at this point in my life? Because I said so. God said it's done. I told it's already done, Mommy. Just walk in it. It's already done. If all you did was give birth to Latanya Yvette Smiley, you did what thus said the Lord, and that's enough. Mm. Wow. So to who's ever listening, it doesn't necessarily have to take an individual for you to get your freedom. It's what God is mm. calling you to. And like Miss Smiley said, a partial disobedience is disobedience. And truth mm. be told, beautiful, there has been so much going on in my family from generation to generation, and nobody's talking about it, but I was the first. I believe to come forward, my dad, it has been no secret that he has five children with his niece, me, myself, personally, my brother, uh, I was a victim of incest with my brother, um, and, and even some of my other family members, and the truth be told, babe, I knew my mother knew, she knew. And, and because she couldn't step up and do the thing, right thing for her children, it's because of the things she hasn't dealt with in her life. And so right now, even that very thing is causing so much hurt in our family, but as this day, as this day, my prayer for everybody, we have got to look at the truth no matter how ugly or how painful it is because your truth is your truth, and the only thing that can set us free is is God and his word and his will, which is the truth and the only truth. So until we begin to look at things from God's view and his perspective of who we are in him, we'll never know love because he is love. And that's how we begin to love ourselves and be set free, healed, and delivered. Not no longer bound in the chain. So, Miss Valencia Wallace, beautiful. Thank you for the platform that you have, Miss Miley. You keep going forward, my sister. My thank sister. You. God bless you all. You're welcome, and thank you, sister. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, caller, for your your question, your comment, and sharing your story. And it, it's funny you said something about obedience. Because this show, this Sunday show, was strictly about me being obedient. Because I put on every excuse of why I didn't have time. I already have this show going on, that show going on. But I said, okay, I'm going to be obedient, Lord. I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to address those ugly things that we don't often want to talk about. Because apparently somebody needs to hear it. So, Thank you so much for that conversation, caller. Confirmation. Mm. So, Latanya. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's that's all I could really say at this moment is is wow. At this time, I wanted to bring. Tasha on who's joining us she's one of the co-hosts and I know she had a question also about your self-worth and guys you know it's even though the hour is like zooming by we have like five minutes left we're gonna 
roll. We're going to just roll with it, even if we have to do a part two to the show. So with that being said, uh, Tasha, if you want to go ahead and ask your question about Miss Latanya and her self-worth. Good evening, uh, Latanya. Um, I wanted to ask you um, when did you start to when did you start to heal and start to believe in your self worth? When did it, when did you start that process? Hello. I think Latanya has dropped off. Um, well, hold on. She just called back in. We might have had some technical difficulties. Hold on one second. Okay. Hey, Latanya, you back with us? Yes. Tasha wanted to know when did you start that process? When did that light go off and you said, okay, I I have to build my self-worth now? When did that happen? So in, in 2012, when I first launched Ease Roses, that was when I felt that I felt that I was ready and I started this organization. And every time I went to speak, you you, you are the you are one of the few people now that say my power is the power that you hear my forgiveness. Girl, I didn't have it. I would be talking and snotting and doing everything that showed that I felt that I went before God with launch, and it was something that I wanted to do, but I wasn't ready to do. So when my father died four years ago, I took my first breath, and I was Hmm. able to say no more, and I began to do my work. And I got married to the, the love of my life who told me before marrying me, he probably was like, oh, God. What did I give myself into that? I'm, I can't marry no broken pieces. I'm not going to marry mm. no broken pieces. I'm not doing that. You know, he's a man. He's one of five brothers. They come from a house of love. Their parents are still together. You know, and he's like, I'm not going to marry these broken pieces. You and your family need to get it together. And he loved me. He He stood with me while I did my work. He stood by me. He encouraged me. Um when I say God sent this man, like, you know, I always say that we, we come from them, but you meet that one and you feel like you actually his ribs, like that one, you know, that one that you like, yeah, this is it. To understand, to not put pressure, to not be afraid to let me shine, but also not let me suffer in silence. Hey, what's, what's going on? You know, you want to talk about it? Let's, you can't stay in this state to not sit here and watch me self-destruct, but gives me my space to do what I have to do to be the queen that he needs me to be. So it was four years ago. Mm. Wow. Thank you for your your question, Tasha, because I know a, a lot of people think we have a, a revelation and get healed at 30 or, you know, one of those key ages, 21 or 18 and Sometimes you, you in your 40s, 50s, 60s, it, it's never too late to start living unbroken. Latonya, I I had have so many questions, but you're you are just so awesome and I respect you so much. And I know we're definitely going to have to schedule a, a part 2 of of the show. 
but I want to know, and I want you to let the audience know how they can find you, how they can find out more about your organization. How can they connect with you? So you could connect with me on Facebook. I am Latanya Smiley, and um, my website is easeroses.com, but the website is under construction because we have so many new programs that we just implemented that it's down right now, but it'll be up in a week or two. Um, you can email me at easeroses at yahoo.com, and that's E V E S. R-O-S-E-S at yahoo.com. You could um, inbox me. You could put a message in a bottle, baby. It don't matter. When you need to get in touch with me, I am there. I'm all over Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter, as Latanya Smiley, or at Ease Roses is my Twitter handle. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Um, wow. I also wrote a book. If you want to read the book, the book is um, you can order the book at two lives. The number two lives unbroken at yahoo dot com. No, two lives unbroken dot com is the website for the <laughs> book. It's called Secrets Untold: A Daughter's Cry. It has exercises in the back for you to do your work, so to speak. After each chapter, I put. A, you know, a little assignment in the back for you to do your work and for you to try to get healed and move past your pain. Um, we have so much other stuff going on. You know, we're going into child sexual abuse awareness month next month. So on the first, um, look for on Facebook, Dana and, and Tamar. It's going to be a page. I'm going to invite Valencia, and Valencia can invite everyone who she knows where we're going to have. Um, we're going to do lives on child sexual abuse, what it does to the family, forgiveness, healing, dealing with residue, because there's a lot of residue that women deal with who have been abused. You know, it struggles with being intimate with your husbands. It's just different struggles that we have after inappropriate touch, so learning healthy touch, all kinds of good stuff. So you can look for us with that as well. Wow. I want to, uh, once again, thank you for coming on healing you and sharing your story with such rawness and such realness and, and such honesty, because that's the only way other people can, can heal is to know that it, it, it's real. It's not something in your imagination, what you're dealing with. Like you said about that residue. Yeah. That residue exists. But it 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 doesn't have to remain your whole life, guys. Um, again, thank you so much, Latanya. If you guys are connected with Define You Radio on Facebook or Blog Talk Radio, her information is posted there. You can always inbox the show or go to the website ValenciaGWallace.com and send me an email if you need to. If you're trying to find her, if you can't find her, I'm connected with her, uh, gratefully so. I thank you for being part of my life and, and part of the show, Latonya. Like I said, we're going to have to get you back on to address some more issues and questions uh, and, and I everything. Get to meet you next week. Yes, I get to mm-hmm. meet you next month at the Sister Cypher. Yes. Girl, yes, guys, if you are connected with 
either of us on Facebook, you guys will see the see the pictures. I'm gonna have to bring you some Louisiana specialties so you could take some of that uh, hot sauce to New York or upstate. <laughs> Thank you guys so much again. As usual, I'm going to, and thank you guys for for hanging in there. I know we're like a little over, but you know, the hour goes by fast and it, it was well worth the time you spent with us this Sunday. As usual, I'm going to end the show with a quote for the week. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. That's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Again, guys, thank you so much for joining us on Healing You Radio. Um, We'll catch you. I want to thank my beautiful, wonderful guest, and she lives up to her name. I'm going to say that. The last name is Smiley. If you guys see her on social media, she she definitely lives up to that last name. I want to thank my beautiful co-host, Ms. Tasha Dearborn of Positive Express and Connie Lee of Meraki Therapy. Once again, it's been a great show. And I want you guys to think about this as you're going into your next week. We all want to accomplish goals. We all want to make our mark in the world, create waves in in oceans. But we first need to heal in order to define you. With that being said, guys, it's been a great show. You guys have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for listening in to Healing You. Remember, you must heal you in order to define you. Join us next week, same time.